Welcome to Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. Got a great episode for you today. This is a special episode for anyone who unfortunately didn't match in the match process for residency. It sucks. It's a horrible system. I have my great friend on here, Dr. Ben Green, who he unfortunately had to go through this process last year. Uh, He's really vulnerable on this episode. He shares his wild experience that Thankfully, he had a great ending. Uh, he ended up in neuromuscular medicine, and he'll share that story. Uh, ben is really a fantastic storyteller. He's been on the podcast before. He was on episode 56. He actually uh, was trained as a Catholic priest and then found his way to medical school. Ben also has his own podcast called the Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine Podcast. Uh, this is Dr. Benjamin Green. You can find the link and description of this podcast in uh, my show notes today. Uh, without further ado, here's Dr. Benjamin Green. Have you ever had that before? I have not. That's a podcast first. Cool. Uh, I think cool. I think uh, you hanging up that phone call is the best place to uh, start this podcast. Because, oh, man, I wish I could have been with you and the person on that phone call, Dr. Travis Kinane, uh, in beautiful Palm Springs recently, man. I missed you. Oh, we had a blast. We had a blast. But I hear you're going to Brazil or something like that? I am going to Brazil. Hence why I was on that frugal man's Peloton. I'm trying to, get, trying to keep it tight, son. I hear they wear Speedos down in Brazil. I'm trying to fit in. Well, in Palm Springs as well. There you go. Sure. There you go. Hell yes, brother. Well, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Is this your second or third time? I'm trying to think. Second time. Yeah, and I forget the first episode, but that one was epic. I forget the number. I'll post it in like, you know, when I post the notes and Instagram posts about this. We told your story of first being a, first being a Catholic priest um, and then transitioning to a medical student. And then today we're talking about that wild transition from med student to resident. And it's always wild, but for you, it was, I think, uniquely, intensely (laughs) wild. Just, oh man, brother. It was rough, man. It was, I've never been through Navy SEAL Hell Week, but I like to think that what I went through was like mental and emotional hell week for a fourth year medical student it was it was very straining very stressful but i'm very thankful that we came out on the other side a doctor yeah yeah so me and you are talking sunday march 6th um i think match week this year is like the 14th um and just to set the scene for anyone listening who's like not in medical school familiar with the match it's this very archaic, strange process. You submit your rank of programs you want to go to. They submit their favorite candidates. And then on this particular week on Monday, they tell you if you have a job or not. And then on Friday, you actually find out where that residency is if you were to match. If you don't match, though, however, in this process, you enter the Supplemental Offer and Acceptance Program, the SOAP, as better as Ben will describe. Um, and I don't know it. Obviously, as as uh, intimately as you do, but my brief understanding is like you do all these kind of interviews and just scramble for a spot. And then even after the soap, there's other interviews potentially. And it just sounds like absolute hell, as Ben is describing. And, uh, you know, I remember trying to help you out through this process to the best of my ability. And I, I we all just were along for the ride with you at that point, because there's nothing you can say that makes that process any easier so yeah a year ago roughly what did what did this week look like for you well logan i should probably i kind of want to back it up just a little bit if that's okay with you absolutely i think what what set this up what set the stage and this is really i don't think i've told you this and this is really humbling for me to say but i didn't pass level two on my first attempt Interesting. I don't think I did know that. And yeah, I would, that, if I did know that, I would have remembered it. Yeah. That, oh man, that was, that was like a dagger to the heart. Yeah. And, you know, when I look back at that, I realized there's a temptation to say, oh, Ben, well, you're just kind of dumb, right? I mean, that's like your natural inclination. Like, that's what yeah. you want to tell yourself. 
And that's initially what I thought. And then I had to like reframe or put that negative self-talk aside and really think about what happened. And I realized, no, Ben, you're not dumb. You just had a, you had a very poor game plan for studying for that test. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so essentially what I did was I did ComBank questions. I did the whole ComBank and I thought if I mastered every single question, oh man, I'm going to do well. Mm -hmm. And so I went through that, those ComBank questions like three times. Okay. But what happened is in the end, I was like, I'd already seen those questions. I like, I'd memorized the question. So you memorized the question, not yeah. the concept. Yeah. Yeah. I've fallen in the same trap. Right. For sure. And so I will never forget. I was in, I was in New York. I was doing an audition rotation at, at Mercy Hospital in Rockville Center, New York. I had just gotten out of the hospital. It's like five o'clock in the afternoon, got off the bus, was walking home from the bus station on this cracked up sidewalk past this swamp. And I get a buzz on my phone and I look at it and it's Leanne Hunter with the subtitle, you're on academic probation. And I was like, oh, Lord. Dude, dude, my heart yeah. stopped. It was like I wanted to fight or flight, right? I was like, oh my gosh, is this, this can't be happening. Like, this isn't real. And when I got home, opened up the email, read what it said, looked at NBOME, saw that I had failed. Dude, I just broke down in tears, mm -hmm. man. Because I realized, wow, this was already going to be a difficult process to match. Mm -hmm. But now it was going to be really difficult to match in a very competitive specialty because I wanted to go into physiatry. I want to do PM&R. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I mean, there's no other choice. I had to work through this, right? Yeah. One, I had to what accept the fact that this yeah. happened. And then two, I had to gather all the pieces together and put together a smarter game plan to do better the second time around. And thankfully, the second time around went well, passed. Um, well, I guess that, yeah, because I didn't, I didn't know that, and um, you know, and it's, it's, it's fine, and uh, you know, because I imagine it's so hard to like talk about that. You know, it's like, oh, I don't even want to go into this conversation of like telling, you know, people. It's already you got, you had all this studying to do, um, and so you know, being that this is talk mental health with Logan Noon, obviously you figured out. Um, study techniques and change. And, and I want to hear about that, that portion of it too, because we have a lot of people who are medical students and nursing students who listen to the show. Um, but mentally, how did you handle that incredible, uh, I mean, best way to call it, like failure of that test? How did you not think of yourself as a complete failure? How did you get through that mental health challenge in that moment, even before we start talking about the SOAP experience? Yeah. How did I get through that? I think I'm a, I'm a very active person, as you know very well. Mm -hmm. And I, I got through it one way through just exercise and trying to clear my mind through physical activity. Mm -hmm. I was in New York at that time, and so what I did was just a lot of trail running. Trail running on nature trails, trying to get out and away from the city and the parks yeah. and experience nature, which is a place where I find peace, inner peace, and where I feel at home. And so I did, I did that. I did that to relieve the stress, like I said. And then when I come back home, take a good shower, sit down and think about what did I do wrong and how am I going to change that? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I mean, I was an older student, right? I, I started medical school at, what was I, 33? Yeah. Right? So I'd already had some life experience. I'd been studied to become a priest for 13 years, left that. Um, had to learn math after 10 years of not having any math. 
and teach myself algebra and calculus and then all the pre-med prereqs being like 30 and studying with these 20 year olds so I've been through yeah. a lot of adverse I would love to see data around that like what are the passing rates of a 24 year old medical student versus a 34 year old medical student like I do think that there are maybe differences in the brain in those 10 years over that those big population differences because like I feel like in a lot of our colleagues as younger students easy peasy they pass the test no problem the neuroplasticity neuroplasticity is not the same my brain's drying up atrophy it's as simple as that (laughs) (laughs) but you know I can't I agree with you so much because in times of incredible stress what I try to relate to my patients like in the psych ward and everything it's like I feel like if you can lose yourself in the moment of exercise and I think the best way to lose yourself in the moment of exercise is also involving nature you like I was saying on the peloton and stuff uh, or the knockoff peloton I got downstairs it still ain't the same as a hike and still ain't that that and and since you're uh we talk about this a lot but like kind of spiritual experience of exercise I don't get that same spiritual exercise experience excuse me on the peloton that I do in a hike with my with my dogs you know just losing myself and thinking about the how I am so small in this huge vast world universe and and sense of time even too I don't get that downstairs in my basement on my pelotons kind of thing so I mean it's really interesting that you bring that up Logan because that was another it's been a driving principle of my whole life that life is short and you know, in the grand scheme of life and its challenges, this is a road bump. It's not fun. It's challenging. It hurts. Oh, wait, my pause pride. on that for a second, Ben. I lost you for a second. Your audio. Hold on. Let me. Sorry, let me close out a particular program. Hold on. Sorry about this, audience. Okay, I can hear you again. Okay, wait, say something. Hello. Okay, I hear you again. Got me? I... Okay. okay, sorry. So what were you saying? Right when you went into that train of thought, it cut out. So we're talking about how did I overcome failing complex level two? So what I wanted to mention is this underlying lifelong principle of life is really, is really short. And I'm going to briefly mention this story. When I was six years old, my dad took us to visit old George Subert. This guy was 102 years old. My dad took us to his house and he said, hey George, what kind of advice do you have for my son? And he looked at me and said, green boys, life, I'm 102 years old. Life goes by like the snap of your fingers. And I was a six-year-old kid and I was just looking at him like, damn, Whoa, (laughs) you know, and that saying has stuck with me my entire life. And so when I thought about failing this test, yeah, I'm like, okay, that hurts, but you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. Life is short. Get through this challenge. It's going to be okay. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, that idea of life being short, make it worthwhile. I'm in medicine. I'm going to become a doctor. Just get through this. You can do it. So I guess then, you know, to move this into the next chapter of this uh, podcast kind of conversation, you know, before we get to the soaping experience, you know, for the listeners who are students or whatever, what techniques did you change to overcome that failure of uh, level two failure? Well, like I Academically. said, my, my strategy was poor. I'm not, I'm not dumb. I mean, I, no. I can say some dumb things every once in a while, right? And we all do. Yo, mm-hmm. some Yo yeah. Dumb things, right? But I had a poor strategy. And I realized you can't memorize a question and think you understand the concept. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was ordered ComQuest, pulled Wu Bank, went through all of ComQuest. Um, And that's that's essentially what I did. New new Mm -hmm. questions. And that, that was enough. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think it's kind of, uh, in many ways, I actually blame, um, not particularly necessarily our medical school, but I feel like medical school as a whole, they always quote that one study, the more questions you do statistically, the more likely you are to pass the exam. It's like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. But what everyone doesn't think about, I feel like, is each one of these questions banks cost money. You know, it is a lot of money. And like, you know, through this whole process, they kind of really do take advantage of medical students. So like, I haven't bought additional question banks for, for purely financial reasons in some way. And, you know, I also think that a lot of times we just get wrapped around like purely like banging out questions and not and not thinking about like okay do you actually truly understand this because right. we get wrapped around that stat that's always like shoved down our right. throats right. yeah it's not just like checking the box i got to do a hundred questions today or i can't go to sleep it's okay yeah. do a hundred questions but understand the con the 100 concepts that you're going through. exactly so you know you that this must have been i guess like uh oh i don't know august september this is august yeah, yeah. Okay, so you eventually finished that stupid, annoying test with a with a passing score. You submitted your rank list, and I guess before um, match day was coming upon us, did like I I think if I was in that position, I would have a tremendous amount of anxiety, being like, oh my god, I have that stupid failure that's on my application. You know, it's just like making my application stand out in a bad way. What were you going through, and and how did you deal with those hard times? Well, I thought, hey, if I match into PM&R, I'm going to match in the place where I did an audition rotation. Mm. So I auditioned at wonderful PM&R programs with Dr. Fishman at Mercy Hospital in Rockville Center, New York, Sinai Hospital with Dr. Karamati in Baltimore, Maryland. And then I came here to Michigan State University, where I am currently, Dr. Michael Ander, and then finally at St. Luke's Hospital in Spokane. And so I thought, these are all great programs. I really enjoyed my time here. I thought I did well on the rotations. If I match, it's going to be in these places because those other mm. schools, I mean, they're going to look at that failure and be like, no, sir, we're not taking him. Yeah. So I only ranked places where I auditioned. I ranked four programs in PM&R. That's it. And did you and have interviews elsewhere? No. Okay. Well, take it back. So I had those four interviews at those PM&R programs. I had a transition year interview at University of North Dakota in Fargo. Yep. I did have one other PM&R um, interview at the, the new program that was starting in Pensacola, Florida. Mm. I had an interview with them and that was it. So six interviews. Okay. Five PM and R one transition, and so my idea was okay. I don't know how this is going to go. If I don't get into a PM and R program, then I'm going all in on a transition year, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to apply again the next year for a PM and R position. So that's what I went into the the match week. That was my that was my strategy. That was my plan. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? Absolutely. And so you know, the audience at this point now, you know, about a year ago ish, you know, I think in two weeks the fourth year medical students get this like horrible email that at mm -hmm. 9 a.m. you basically find out if you matched or not. And I I I imagine like all of my colleagues did not sleep a lick the night before, you know, just utter freaking out, you know, just so mind racing a million miles an hour. And, you know, like we all have our various amounts of anxiety before that uh, email, but you know, I, I was able to get a spot, but what was that Monday morning like for you? And, and how did like kind of Pandora's box open up from there? I, I actually slept really well. I was just coming <laughs> back from a, a bike trip across there we go. Uh, New Mexico. I was gone with my fiance at the time. Um, we took two weeks and biked like 500 miles across New Mexico through the desert. It was awesome. So I was, I was in a good state of mind. I was rested, batteries were charged, slept well. Um, a few, I should back up a little bit. A few weeks before that trip, I had emailed the program director in St. Luke's 
in Spokane, which is where I really, really wanted to go. I wanted to stay in the Pacific Northwest. I wanted to be kind of close to home. Mm-hmm. I was hoping to end up in Montana. Um, so that was my that was my top choice. I emailed actually the director of the physiatry, the rehab facility, Dr. Greg Carter. And I said, Dr. Carter, I'm ranking you guys number one. I love my rotation there. I really hope I can be a resident there. And he emailed me back. He said, Ben, we all really enjoyed you being here. We really, if you rank us, this is what he told me. He's like, if, if you rank us first, I don't see why you wouldn't end up here. Yes. And I was like, sweet, yes. Yes. I'm matching there, man. That's what I, I I sadly had not exact same things told to me, but but very similar. If in very vague, looking back retrospectively, you realize how vague they were, but at the time you're just holding out to any any glimpse of hope. If you rank us high, I can't see any issue why you wouldn't match there. So in the moment you're like, woo, let's go. Yeah. And then looking back, you're like, I see how you phrased that. Like, well said, yeah. sir. But you know what happened? It was both at the time. But Dr. Carter didn't have, I don't think, well, I don't know how much say he had in the rank list. He was not the program director. I mean, he was the director of the rehab facility. And so I emailed, I emailed the program director and I'm like, hey, Dr. Bogey, I just want to let you know I'm ranking you guys first. I loved my rotation there. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. This is my home. No response. And I was like, Hmm, that's weird. Now I know why, right? So, well, you know, they they play their cards close to their chest too. I'm sure there's a strategy, yeah. I guess. And so, okay, fast so forward to Monday. Go ahead. Nothing against Dr. Yeah. Bogey, Dr. Carter. I love it is those what guys. It is. I love the program. Be well. Yeah, and it's just, it's such an unfortunate situation because we live in the state of the world where we simply don't have enough doctors, yet we graduate more, uh, you know, qualified medical students who complete all the requirements of medical school, and then there's not enough spots and residence fees for them. It's the dumbest problem in the world, and everyone's like, what's the problem with the funding, blah, blah, blah. It actually is Medicare capped, like U.S. government capped. Our salaries are both paid for um, through the government, and they cap how many uh, positions there are per year. So you could argue that we're growing medical students faster than we are residency spots. So every year it does lead, unfortunately, to unmatched um, students. And thankfully, you know, through this however long of a process, you did find a spot. So, okay, so Monday morning happens. You open this email that we keep talking about. <laughs> walk me through. Walk me through the next stages. Yeah, so me in my ignorance, you know, I get up. What it, I think it opened up at like 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I'm up at 6. I'm in California at my fiance, my former fiance's apartment. Open it up. I'm sorry, you did not match. I was like, oh, man. Disappointed. Um, kind of flustered. Um, in shock. Mm-hmm. And then I remember Jess came upstairs and she like gave me a hug and was like, did you match? And I said, no. And I could just see the disappointment on her face as well. Um, yeah, so then I'm like, okay, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. You know, once the mm. once the soap comes around. <clears throat> yeah, and and it's it's such like a weird unknown. I feel like all us medical students knew sort of what the soap was, but I didn't want to look into it too extensively because I was just I was like, okay, I'll just deal with that when that present moment comes. And you know, I don't know necessarily the exact stats, but I think it's like. Is it like five to ten percent of students have to go through the soap? Do you actually know a general ish estimation? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when when does like does the school immediately reach out to you? Or like do you have to then start getting out, you know, picking up like, oh shit, I can't be in my own sorrow 
Because I got to, like, freaking find a job. Like, you know, what do you do? Right. So, thankfully, PNW, they reached out. You're assigned, like, a preceptor. So, I was assigned Dr. Russell Meyer. Phenomenal physician, just wonderful human being, very understanding. He was in charge. He was the director of the family medicine residency in Yakima, I believe, for a number of years, and is still involved with the residency program. He was just a great father figure, mm-hmm. kind of consoling me, saying, hey, here's my cell phone. Call me if you need anything. Giving me some strategies of what to do. And I believe it was the next day when the soap opened up with the positions that were open still. Mm-hmm. And so then I believe you get 90, it was 95 applications like secondary applications to these open positions. And so obviously, like you said, like you're trying to get a job because you're mm-hmm. a quarter of a million dollars in debt and you want to yeah. become a physician, right? And so you apply to all 95. And at this time, Logan, I was still dead set on PM&R. Mm-hmm. So there was an opening... I think there were two PM&R positions open in Florida. And so I applied to those, and then all the rest of my applications went to transition years. Okay. And then then it's just a waiting game. Yeah. After you hit submit to those 95 programs, then you wait for them to contact you. Like mm-hmm. you can't you cannot contact them. And isn't it also like you essentially can't really go out anywhere because you got to be like near your phone, ready to interview at a moment's notice. That's right. That must be hell. That sounds awful. It sounds so stressful. Dude, it's like solitary confinement, man, because nobody can understand what you're going through. Right. And there's the imposter syndrome. There's feel like you failed. But there's no time. Like you said, there's no time to lick your wounds and feel sorry for yourself. You just got to grit your teeth and pray to God and your guardian angel that someone's going to email you or call you, right, for an interview. And so I'm sitting there for Tuesday through, I guess, all the way through Sunday. This is how many phone calls I got. Big old goose egg. Zero. Zero. So you're just sitting alone waiting for this phone to buzz and it never... And it never buzzed. That's terrible, man. It was... It was torture. It was very, very humbling. Yeah. Very humbling. And I guess just so, you know, the the audience fully appreciates this moment. Yeah. It's like, you know, myself and Ben did not go to cheap medical school. You know, it's, it's, we went in a lot of debt to do this. And also, you know, without residency, your degree is somewhat useless. Like there, you can go into certain careers, maybe, maybe research, maybe uh, different like health insurance or advocacy or whatever, but treating patients, prescribing treatment um, or medication, whatever, you ain't doing that. Maybe in seldom, seldom weird cases, you can find weird workarounds, but it's kind of like residency or bust in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to mention when I was, when I was going through this hell week, I was reading the book of joy by Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. Okay. That's really what got me through that week. Trying to find joy and peace amidst turmoil and suffering mm-hmm. it was really profound i would read that book just slowly read a chapter and then meditate on it um after you know in the evening times when i didn't think anybody would be calling or emailing i'd go out for a run and i'd continue mm-hmm. thinking about the concepts and what they were talking about and um, yeah it really really helped me through through that week well so i guess the whole point why i wanted to make this podcast is that i hope it's sent to 
it's very sad, but it's a sad mission, but I think a good mission of this podcast. I hope our conversation is sent to people who don't match next week or in two weeks and to get them through, sorry, my cat just bit me, get them through that moment where you do feel just so bad. So if you could sum up that experience of reading that book and, and finding joy in the most stressful turmoil, how could you sum that up for those people who are in the exact same situation where you found yourself in? What, what could they think about? What could they try to implement? Well, I think it was, it was on a very, how would I say this? Essentially it was taking me through the life of the Dalai Lama and him being extradited from his home, his life being threatened um, by the Chinese government and his whole, his journey to becoming the Dalai Lama and, and how he overcame those adverse circumstances. And it talked about also his, on a practical level, his day-to-day routine and how he meditated and the importance of discipline, the importance of prayer, how he prayed and what prayer meant to him and how that gave him this inner peace and this inner joy, which is different from happiness. So they were talking about how happiness oftentimes is circumstantial. I'm at Disney World. Whoa, I'm on Splash Mountain having a great time. That's happiness. But joy is inner. It's inside, regardless of the external circumstances of your life. And no matter what those circumstances are, you can still find joy. And I think that's that's what I latched on to because I was obviously going through some very adverse circumstances in my life. Mm-hmm. And I realized I can still be joyful. I can still be at peace. And that's what I, that's what I tried to foster in my inner life. Wow. That was very well said. Um, that was amazing, man. So, Friday comes around where, um, you know, the end of this soap week and my understanding at this point, you still didn't have a position, a a residency slot to go. What happens next? And and what did that look like? Well, I got a phone call from Dr. Logan noon on like a Thursday, you know, just encouraging me, which, which I really, man, I really, really appreciate that. You know, you reached out to me, like my close friends reached out to me. Um, you reached out to me, Rich reached out to me, Travis reached out to me and we're just super supportive and, and you could somewhat relate to what I was going through. Um, even though thankfully you guys didn't have to go through that, but, um, that was, that meant a lot to me and that, that was also very influential in getting me through the week, but, um, come Friday, no interviews. Not a single phone call throughout the whole soap week. I realized, okay, it's scramble time. Like I'm going to be scrambling for these last positions that weren't filled in the soap. And some programs don't even interview during the soap. They just wait for the scramble. And I have been in contact with a few of those programs. Actually, one in Philadelphia, PCOM. Their, their TY year, they don't soap. They just do scramble. Hmm. And that was one of the programs that I was interested in even before I knew this. Oh, okay. So I had applied there. Had I applied there? I don't remember if I applied there in the actual application process. Um, but regardless, I was, I was in touch with them, in communication with them. So they already knew who I was. And so I thought, okay, this, this should be a good opportunity for me to hopefully at least get an interview with them because they know I've been interested for six months in their program. And so Monday morning at like, again, nine, I think it was like 9 a.m. Eastern time, you get the list of the positions that are still open and they popped up. Mm-hmm. And so I applied to them. And I don't, 
I don't remember if there was a limit on the number of programs you could apply to. But essentially, I applied to them and family medicine programs the first go around. There's like. So it just keeps going from there. You're just keeping applying every round. There's like rounds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I believe there are rounds. No, I think I'm mixing that up with the soap. The soap note, the soap, <laughs> the soap note. In the soap, there are rounds. Mm -hmm. I believe there's three rounds. And then in scramble the, is probably a free for all. Scramble the word. is a free for all. Yeah. It's an absolute free for all. And so there were still a good number of programs um, with open positions. But at this point, no more PM&R, just TY. No more Because you made an adjustment kind of in your career aspirations. Yes. So I realized after the soap was over, man, like, and this is what Dr. Russell Meyer said. He said, Ben, when you signed up to become a doctor, you didn't sign up to become a physiatrist. You signed up to become a doctor. So essentially, I don't care if you're a family medicine doctor, a psychiatrist, a OMM doctor, or a PM&R doctor. Just become a doctor. Mm -hmm. That's what he told me. And that was really hard for me yeah. to hear and accept because I've been wanting to become a physiatrist for probably eight years, right? Mm. I was just set on that. And I realized, well, if I want to become a doctor, I got to let that idea go or get into a TY year and reapply. But at this point, honestly, I wanted to match somewhere because I didn't want to go through yeah. the soap process again. Yeah, absolutely. I did not. It, it is torture. Work. Yeah. So, so I, I, at that point, I had accepted the fact I will do, I'll do family medicine and sports medicine, mm -hmm. or I'll do OMM, or I'll do TY. If that's all I can get, okay. It's like essentially, just get me in somewhere at that yeah, point. Yeah, give me a damn job. Let me pay give off me these job. loans. Yeah. I got loans to pay back. I want to become a doctor, okay? So that's where so I was how, at. So when when did this situation finally turn to the uh, positive aspect? And when did you finally kind of get some good news in your favor? Yeah. So I did hear back from PECOM. They were the first program that I heard back from. And I had an interview with them, which I thought went well. They talked to Russell Meyer, right, back at PNW, and they said, yeah, we like men. We're going to interview some other candidates because they had 15 positions open. Wow. So, um, we really like Ben, essentially, is what they said. No guarantees that they were going to take mm -hmm. And then... I was going through the list of programs that were open and I saw MSU OMM had a position open. And I was like, oh, that's where Dr. Rebar, who was my attending up in Fairbanks, who's my mentor, who I totally admire and I love the work that she does. That's where she went to residency. And so I talked to her. I asked if she would reach out to the program director at MSU OMM. And she said, sure. And I also emailed Dr. Michael Andary, who I really got along with, who's the PM&R program director at MSU, to see if he could reach out to the program director um, of the OMM department. And he said, absolutely, Ben, I'd be happy to. And so both of them reached out to Dr. Zatkin, who's the program director at uh, the Michigan State Osteopathic Manipulation Residency. And then they offered me an interview. Um, interview went really well, and that same day, they offered me they offered me a position. My man. And I was like, Hallelujah! Let's do it. Let's go. And you know, I think, and this is actually part of, um, you know, you inspire me, Ben, so much because you ended up starting a podcast about OMM, and yeah. I know you're super into this topic, and you know, it's it's 
part of your podcast, but like for the listener out there who doesn't know what the hell OMM is, uh, what the hell are we even talking about referring to here? <laughs> well, some people would say, like my younger brother, who's an MD, family medicine MD, is like, Ben, Ben, you're, you're just a chiropractor. And I'm like, well, I'm not, but there is definitely some overlap. But I'm also so, sort of a chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, to my patients, I explain it to them like this. For those who have no, who have not been to osteopathic medical school, and even if you have, I wonder how good your OMM education was. But mm. I explain it as, it is almost like a synergy for the lay person. I'm, I'm talking to the lay person. It's a synergy of chiropractic medicine, physical therapy, massage therapy, and acupuncture in one. Mm-hmm. Right? We're fully licensed physicians. We go through medical school. We go through our residency training. We look at the human body. We studied anatomy. We listen to your story. With our hands, we feel the tissue. Where do we feel tension? Is there any misalignment of any of the joints or of your spine? And then we try to correct that misalignment, the tension in the tissue through manual therapies. Mm. That's kind of my short and dirty spiel that I give. It's so much more than that. It is so much more than that. And the more that I'm in it, the more I realize, wow, we were just scratching the surface at PNWU. So if listeners, uh, if listeners want to, because you are essentially, I feel like I'm on a mission to try to educate people about mental health, but you're on a mission to educate people about what osteopathic manipulative medicine even is and what it can truly be, Um, because there's a lot of misconceptions, misunderstandings. So how can they find your podcast anyway? Yeah. Thanks, Logan, for this opportunity. Yeah. So you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It's simply called the Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine Podcast. It's really directed towards osteopathic medical students for the reason that we have about 30 OMM residents graduating every year, but we have about 10,000 DOs graduating every year. And so it's impossible that an OMM trained resident can teach at every osteopathic medical school. And so what happens is this vicious cycle of DOs graduating and unfortunately not appreciating OMT, then they don't use it. And then an osteopathic medical student goes and shadows them for their OMT rotation, but they don't learn any OMT. Yeah. Right? Or they watch them do one or two sessions of OMT during their four-week rotation, and that's it. And then are they, did they see the clinical benefit of OMT? Are they going to use it? No, and I don't blame them. So what I'm trying to do is interview OMT doctors that use OMT on a day-to-day basis, whether they're OM, ONMM residency trained or family medicine ONMM, or they're just DOs that love to do ONMM. And they're sharing their story about how they became interested in OMM and the clinical benefits that they see for their patients on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, you know, I have a, a, I feel like I have a very mixed opinion of OMM, OMT, however you want to refer to it. Cause I do think that there is some BS, you know, but I really think that there is 100%. some BS in, in every aspect of medicine, including psychiatry practices that we do that I think are completely stupid and dumb. Um, but that being said, like, I feel like there is new kind of uh, cutting edge kind of things and techniques we can do. And I listened to a podcast of yours um, and I don't remember the guy's name, but the dude who's all into fascial distortion model, FDM, where you like super hard push into the tissues and end up getting a release. And so what's that guy's name again, if the listeners want to? Dr. Todd Capistran. Yeah. And like, because... It was, it's very frustrating to me because in our curriculum as a DO um, doctor, osteopathic physician, we don't even learn it. It's not even in the curriculum. And then there's stuff that I feel is kind of garbage that is in the curriculum. And then for me, you know, my kind of thinking of as a DO, I'm a psychiatrist, you know, like 
I just have a lot of patients that have dealt with trauma in various ways. And just for liability reasons, professional res- reasons, safety reasons even, um, I just kind of draw a hard, fast line on like, I don't like to touch my patients really in any capacity unless it's medically truly actually 100% warranted. But I really try to talk a lot about like kind of yoga and stretching and like, like, Hey, yeah, you're anxious. Like, do you feel that kind of tension and pain in your neck and in your back? Like do you feel yourself and trying to teach them different like things that they can do because, you know, also as a psychiatrist, I only have 20 minutes at most with these patients, but here's stretching and things that you can do on your own time throughout the day. And those are other ways to treat our anxiety outside of just taking this stupid pill that I'm giving you once a day. Um, and so that's what I kind of really relate to being a DO and it's, it's, dude, I'm so proud of you for having a podcast It inspires me to, to take this, um, to the next level. And, um, it's super cool, man. So I hope you keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been so enriching for me personally, talking to these incredible physicians who inspire me and teach me different nuances about OMM or OMT, you know, that you can't read in a book that they've just learned through, you know, years and years of clinical experience. Um, and then I just hope to make it available to people that want to listen to it. Osteopathic yeah. medical students or anybody looking for alternative forms of musculoskeletal management, pain management primarily. But, yeah, and I really think it's can even be greater than just uh, DO students. You know, I, I see no reason why I have a great friend who he's been on the podcast before, Michael Gene Favor. He's a physical therapist and he can do a lot of techniques that uh, DOs do. And like, also, why can't and I know this exists and I think you even just did a podcast about with an MD about this. Like, why can't our MD colleagues just take certain um, continuing education courses in these kind of techniques and continue to do them? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a super interesting topic. I've I've sucked about an hour of your time. So I just have a couple other kind of questions. You know, my my really hope with this podcast is that I want to release it basically right around match week and that um, when I called you on that, that match week, I had no idea what to say to you besides um, I'm here for you, man. You know, like it was such a, such a challenging experience for, for you. So I hope that this podcast can serve a benefit to individuals going through that hell, really hell. There's no other way to describe that. You know, I know this is a loaded question, but if you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? What advice could you maybe offer any of these individuals going through this experience? Well, I definitely wouldn't fail level two. That's, um. that's one good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, start there. I would, I would really take, do some very serious introspection and be very objective about how good of a candidate you really are for the specialty that you want to go into and be very realistic with yourself but it's so hard to judge too right you know it's like and and people will give you misguided um compliments encouragement like if you rank this high i'll probably see you here next year it's like i wouldn't believe it's any of that bullshit anymore after going through this <laughs> I don't believe any of that bullshit they're they're just feeding you you know they've done this for years like don't believe it that that's my yeah. at this point don't believe it because this could happen to anybody this could happen to you or excuse me happen to me you know i i was lucky i re- that's really i feel like that it's there's a luck component of this match so i'm sorry keep going i interrupted you so i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is I really, I was so fixated on PM&R or bust, and because of my personality, I don't think anybody could have talked me out of that. Yeah. But just by the way things played out, I had to give up that idea. If I could, and it's already too late to do this because people have already submitted the rank list, but I think it's so important to have a plan B, maybe a plan C, and to rank those programs. Because 
you don't want to go through the soap. You don't want to yeah. go through scamble, the scramble. You know, so if I want to do ortho, okay, ortho. And then if I don't get ortho, my next my next program is PM&R. And if I don't get PM&R, maybe, I don't know, family medicine, sports medicine, or OMM. I don't know. But to have some backup plans and rank all those and to be open to maybe not getting your number one. Hopefully you do. My hope yeah. absolutely is that you do. But being open to other things so you don't have to suffer the consequences. Yeah. It's a, it's a sad reality of the situation, but I, I say similar things where it's like, you know, and, and yeah, we're releasing this podcast, I guess at the wrong time, but I actually tell people and it's, it sucks. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to bang on that credit card right now. And I would apply to a lot of different places because you want to avoid the soap, like your job. It's, it's, I've had friends who go through it. I refer to you, but not in any detail, but like, it just seems like torture. It just seems like hell. And You know, I hope that we both can be in roles maybe one day within this match process or at least influence this match process because it is just stupid because we live in a world where we need doctors. We graduate so many people who are able to do this job and then we enter residency where we work crazy hours and it's like there's a simple solution to this. Let's just make more residency positions. We'd be able to match those graduates. We wouldn't have to work as hard. It's not like we're paying them this exorbitant amount of money. Nurse practitioners and PAs make more than residents. Like it's, it's like, come on here. Like, what what are we doing? Um, It's infuriating. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, Ben, uh, this has been about an hour chatting with you. Um, You know, I'll do, do a link to your podcast, uh, and I hope I get to be a guest on the osteopathic uh, osteopathic, osteopathic medicine. manipulative medicine podcast with Doctor Benjamin sure. Green. Um, yeah, it's awesome. There's one that I've been meaning to check out about like the perception of pain. I keep meaning to listen to. Oh it. man, just, um, that is very a excited practice, about that one. practice yeah. changing podcast for me anyway, and so super stoked. All right. Well, Ben, you're the best. Thank you for sharing this uh, epic, epic story, man. And uh, yeah. be good, brother. I miss you. Thanks for having me on, man. Let me be vulnerable. Hopefully people can, can learn something from this. They absolutely will, man. Okay.